0: Governments are big builders. From hospitals and schools to roads and rail, government infrastructure projects are often big, expensive and have long lifespans. As the cost to the planet of increasing energy consumption becomes clearer, public sector bodies are looking for ways to reduce the energy demand created by the infrastructure that they build and maintain. For public servants with a passion for sustainability in the environment, this creates an opportunity to do work that creates long-term environmental change and delivers real personal value. Hello, I'm Nick Bastow and welcome to Public Sector Perspectives, produced by IPA Victoria. Our guest today is Julian Freeland, who's a Senior Project Officer for Environmental Sustainability in the Victorian Health Building Authority. The authority he works for is responsible for the planning and delivery of the Victorian government's multi-billion dollar health infrastructure program. That means managing the redevelopment of existing health assets, as well as planning and delivering new pieces of infrastructure. That means their work includes everything from building new hospitals, ambulance stations and mental health facilities, to the redevelopment and upgrading of existing facilities that are located right across Victoria. All up, it's a program of more than $28 billion worth of work. Working at that scale creates real opportunities to reduce the environmental impact of our health services, and that impact is significant. Public hospitals and health services contribute a fifth of the Victorian government's total energy-related carbon emissions. As the demand for health services continues to grow, improving the environmental performance of our health infrastructure will play an important part in in helping to achieve Victoria's 2050 net zero target for greenhouse gas emissions. That's a big challenge, and it's a big opportunity. So I began our conversation by asking Julian to describe his own career arc, and what led him to his current position at the Victorian Health Building Authority.
1: I started out at university doing an environmental management degree, and that was focused on land management in particular. And over the years, I've drifted into working for government, first in the UK, and then Luckily, over here in Australia, working within the Victorian Health Building Authority was uh, through a series of contacts and building of knowledge and a reputation that can get things delivered at a project management scale as we raise raise awareness in environmental sustainability of health infrastructure. All health infrastructure, like most public uh, infrastructure projects and, and deliverables, consume a vast amount of energy pretty similar to a small country town, when you think how often they or how regularly they run, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. That's led me into getting specialised in the areas of sustainability in built infrastructure, where I bring and draw upon my experience working in the construction industry, working in facilities management, so a facility can operate on a daily basis, on a yearly basis, and now into the planning and development of new infrastructure, as well as looking after existing infrastructure that you've touched on.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the health infrastructure in Victoria that the authority is responsible for. What are some of the big projects that people might know or see around the city as they move around? But what are some of the projects that don't have a big public profile but that are also really important? Good point, uh,
1: Nick. The smaller projects that often don't get talked about are the refits and refurbishments of existing infrastructure. And once you get out of metropolitan centres or regional centres, there is often a small community health building or small hospital that plays a major role for the community as a place to gather, case for employment, that often gets out of sight and neglected. Um, so we've identified that we have to upgrade and keep these facilities operating for our aging populations, as well as our emerging and new population, certainly after COVID, where people have fled the city uh, and are looking for a work-life balance, but still need to access healthcare. And it's not glamorous stuff. It's generator refits, it's lighting upgrades. We've hit on a project of uh, installing solar. And normally, in a life cycle of a facility, that's probably the last thing you would look at doing. But it sends a very good message of investment in the people that work for the health service, but also the local community that we're reducing our emissions when we operate and deliver healthcare. The more glamorous and, and high-profile projects, and we're very lucky because a lot of money is being thrown our way, are the new Footscray Hospital. Uh, there's one planned for Melton. It's a growth area within the city limits. Peninsula Health is getting a major uh, expansion project. And more recently, we had the VCCC, the Victorian Comprehensive Cancer Centre, right in the heart of the city. An amazing-looking building. A little bit tricky to operate due to the nature of how it's designed, but a fabulous piece of infrastructure.
0: So what are some of the biggest opportunities to build in sustainability into really big projects like new hospitals?
1: That's a great question. The biggest opportunity that we've found or identified recently is where do we source our energy? Because to deliver healthcare, we need energy, generally electricity, but also gas. And the Victorian government has invested in the Great Initiative. As of January 2025, all electricity used across the Victorian public health system and all government operations come from renewable sources aka wind farms and solar farms. That still leaves gas and we use gas to heat spaces um, so we have to look at how do we generate new sources of energy or, or alternative heating options for existing and new facilities. We The, the biggest term is now or buzz, is electrification of health facilities and that's where new facilities are using only electricity to operate, heating, lighting, cooling. The older facilities present a bit of a challenge because they were designed to use gas for heating and big spaces, generally it's easier and more economical to use gas than electricity to heat. So that is a big challenge and something that we're all working towards.
0: Can you think of some examples that surprised you about the way that health facilities consume energy or where there were unexpected ways of reducing energy consumption?
1: A hospital runs 365 days a year for the major hospitals, so they need to use for lighting, heating, cooling. And what we found in operating theatres, it's a very specific sort of operating environment in which they function. But when they're not being used, traditionally, we still ran the heating and cooling systems and pressurized the space so they were ready at the drop of a hat. Through innovation, we're looking at reducing the pressure loads through the heating and cooling and the pressurization of the space that when they're not being used, we can reduce the energy demand of an operating theatre. And we hope to save something in the order of 40% of energy to, to, for an operating theatre to operate 24 hours a day. That includes actually being used and being on standby. And we've worked closely with our colleagues, certainly at Western Health, to identify issues and opportunities in that space. Likewise, uh, heating in newer buildings, as we understand building science of how to seal a building, Conventionally, it's not one of our greatest strengths. We can then reduce the energy needed to heat and cool because the air exchanges have reduced. Therefore, you don't need as much energy to make keep it hot hot in the winter and cool in the summer. As
0: an advocate for environmental sustainability in a place like the VHBA, you must have to work with architects and engineers and project managers who may see their work through a quite different and quite understandable lens How often do you find their priorities to be in conflict with creating good environmental outcomes?
1: It's a controversial question because every architect has a great idea and ambition of what statement they're going to create in public infrastructure space. Generally, there's an underlying theme and understanding that we have to be responsible for the energy and the money that's invested in these sort of facilities, and now that sustainability is quite topical in the form of climate change and how do we adapt as we witness it from day to day, whether it be intense rainfall, extended periods of, of heat or dry, we have to see how our facilities can still deliver health care and great health outcomes 365 days of the year. The engineers and the construction teams, again, quite rightly, they have different priorities. They want to get something done on time and on budget. We have to factor in how we can still achieve that but building in a more sustainable man- manner, and that's being building clever. And what that can be is let's construct something off-site and then bring it all together as like a Lego kit and, and construct on-site reducing waste, reducing energy, truck movements, construction methods and techni- techniques. And that takes time to educate the industry of what we would like to achieve. They need to upskill to be able to deliver that, but we also needed to create an environmental facility that could still... Deliver health outcomes, which is great for staff, which are often overlooked because they spend a lot of time at the hospital because they work there, but also patients, of course. We want them to come in, get fixed, and not be in hospitals long simply because we often heal better when we're at home.
0: Sometimes you do, though, have to spend money to save money. How often do you find that you have to convince people that um, proposing some form of environmental improvement? might cost more in the short term, but might save more in the long term.
1: We're talking about finances more here, I think, where traditionally we have a bucket of money, which they prefer to as a capex, which is the investment to build, design and build something. And then they have the opex bucket where where well, that money is used for operating. And never shall these two buckets of money come together. So it's a real adjustment of how we approach a project, and it's becoming easier. But we still have the uh, the moments of, to agree to disagree. And we have to demonstrate that any initiative that we bring in that's not normal or regular or business as usual will deliver an ongoing uh, deliverable in the life cycle of a facility. And when we talk of a life cycle, it's literally from starting with a blank piece of paper where we design, we fulfill the needs of what we actually have to uh, deliver from that facility, but we can introduce some architectural statement as well. Also, that it's pleasing to the eye, but still serves the purpose. That's the, the objective. Yeah. We then bring in the engineers and builders to say, can you create this? And often they say, no, we can't do that or that doesn't work. We haven't done that before. And through uh, a series of educational meetings and workshops, we rely on the Victorian government uh, health building authorities guidelines in, for sustainability which sets out the principles of what we want to achieve for every health facility. And then we work together to come with the best within budget and, and deliverable time, the best outcome we can.
0: Medical professionals like surgeons can be pretty fussy about the design of their workplaces, and that's probably a good thing for the rest of us. But does building environmentally sustainable health infrastructure come with its own sort of very specific problems because of the nature of the services they provide?
1: Absolutely. Uh, As as we touched on before, an operating theatre has a very unique working environment and set of uh, requirements to perform to enable them to deliver their very technical and specialised piece of work, which ultimately saves lives and makes people's lives better. Um, And it's great to have those vested interests come to the table, telling us what they need, and then we have to then calculate and and navigate a, a sustainable solution. Uh, we've got some very active individuals in the health sector who bring not only their technical expertise in the, the services and the areas that they work in, but also knowledge from overseas that often gets overlooked. And, and we try and draw upon that experience and, and expectation, as well as dealing with, yes, the financial responsibility of building and constructing, but also the feasibility of can we deliver it within a time frame. In a, in a sustainable manner as well. It's all very good having really amazing windows, but if they come from the other side of the world, we have to calculate: well, what what is used to get them over here? What's locally available, or just over the sort of over the ditch uh, solution to uh, another manufacturing base? So it's bringing all of these d- different pieces together, as any construction project is a big jigsaw puzzle. Sometimes we might not have all the edges that we want. But we do get a, 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 the best outcome available within the resources that, that are available to us at the same time.
0: One of the interesting ideas in this sort of work must be that uh, governments can, in fact, be leaders, in this sort of redevelopment of infrastructure. How often do you think um, in the work that you're doing, you're actually creating a standard that you then hope that, say, private sector investment, private sector infrastructure development, then has to sort of thinks, well, they, they've they done that, we should be able to do that too, or in fact, even do better than that?
1: That's, that's a great question and, and thing to discuss. I always thought that the government's role was to to send a put a marker in the sand for industry and the private sector to follow. The intent of what we're trying to achieve in the built environment and healthcare, or education or railway lines, whatever area that the government's working on at the time, as a marker to say this is a a signal that this is where we want to go. It might not be the best or leading edge piece of technology, but again, it's a signal that's an advancement or a step change in conventional practice. That enables the private sector to, to mobilize, one, to deliver that need, but then go in and show innovation to in the private sector where there's a few more dollars available uh, to enhance that outcome. Uh, and it's often, it hasn't always come to force in terms of being a deliverable or being realized. We are getting there. Within Australia, it's an interesting one because there are so many different layers of government and it's always good to have a wee bit of competitive tension between the states, but sometimes, it's a bit more than just competitive tension. The outcomes have been, though, that electrified or yeah, electrification of healthcare has has leapt ahead in Canberra, uh, and they're doing some amazing work there. South Australia is doing the same, and Victoria's picked up on that as an outcome. But we focused on other areas within the health infrastructure space that the other states have perhaps not uh, identified. And so, drawing upon those different experiences, drawing upon the industry sector and, and knowledge that's there as well. Enables us to to get a, a not the best, but certainly close to the best outcomes that we can afford uh, to deliver sustainable and and really productive and good working health infrastructure.
0: What are the skills that a public servant needs to have working in your position? How good is the sector in developing those sorts of skills in its workforce? Do you think?
1: Recently, I've I've witnessed where governments turned to the marketplace and called upon uh, expertise, knowledge, not only to deliver a project, but to educate and raise the standard of, uh, of experience, expectation and, and, and outcomes within the public sector. We, in my space, are quite technically focused and it's a case of using what you really want to deliver and, and compromising uh, and negotiating a the best outcome that we can. Whilst dealing with yes the on times the budget people as well what's feasibly possible, so there's always room to improve, but the technical skill set certainly within the Victorian Health Building Authority I think is actually amazing. Uh, we've got people that work in the design services side of things. So what does a hospital feel like when you walk into it? Uh, how does it function? Are there passageways of you know, movement of people, movement of uh, technical uh, nurses, doctors, etc. So all of that gets mapped into the initial design, then we've got people saying, well, how do we service that in terms of energy flows, the the logistics of how do we get equipment and resources into a facility? Again, that's something we're building within the the, the health authority, as well as calling upon the private sector. And down to the project management skills of how do we navigate if something doesn't fall through, what's the backup plan to enable us to still deliver a great project that still delivers great health outcomes, uh, whilst calling upon the skills within the uh, public service, but also the, the our partners, the private sector as well.
0: What parts of your work are you most proud of?
1: There's a TV advert on. Uh, I think it's actually for um, pensions where there's a, a father and son driving across or down a road and the father points across and says, oh, I, I, I was part of that build. And that gives me a sense of satisfaction that some of the projects that we've delivered, again, where I work and the inputs I have, you don't see it at the front door. It's behind the scenes, the logistics, how that facility operates. So working in the waste space, um, the waste rationalization, so we're not throwing everything straight into landfill uh, and we're being able to recycle or repurpose materials. That's that's been a win. We've got some um, organic recycling plants at uh, the Royal Melbourne Hospital and at the Frankston Hospital and we've got one in Monash Health as well. So organic waste can be reused and then used in the gardens around the hospital and local parks to connect with the community. Um, Solar panels, as I touched on earlier, it's a very visual message that you're sending to the local community and staff. uh, And it lops the the maximum demand on those really hot days, really sunny days that we're using uh, technologies to operate and function and deliver health outcomes without burning coal. So that's always a big win. What
0: makes a career in the public sector rewarding for you?
1: Without being cliched, it's being able to to com- commit and contribute to a community outcome. We all live in the community. It might not be in my immediate neighbourhood where I live, but overall in Victoria, uh, I've been very fortunate enough to be able to come to this great place that is Australia where opportunities still exist, and to be able to contribute that. I've started a family, so my children have tapped into the health system and now we're in the education system. So contributing in that space is quite rewarding. Not wanting to to be sound, too preachy, but it's lovely to be able to to contribute to something that I dip into regularly um, and, and see other people benefit from.
0: There's a lot of discussion about people increasingly seeking work that's of value and that delivers purpose in their lives. How do you think your work creates value and purpose for you as an individual?
1: you always have moments of reflection. We're thinking that was a really good outcome. We've really hit the nail on the head or reflect and think we didn't quite get what we wanted. It's not bad, but there's room for improvement. So luckily uh, I get to uh, contribute to a variety of projects from aged care facilities because ultimately we're all heading in that direction. So if I can put some good word in now, I know that one day if I am fortunate enough to use that facility, it's gonna work. It's gonna be comfortable. Because we've all worked uh, a long period of our life. Um, so to be able to relax somewhere comfortably uh, and safely is a big reward. Right through to uh, an emerging and increasingly huge demand in terms of mental health. it's If we can provide support for people, that we all have bad days. Some are more the, the greater than others. So we need to look after those people in our community. Right down to... Doing DL work at home and t- lopping the end of my finger off, and going to the Royal Melbourne in an accident an emergency, and seeing the lights that have been put in as I waited for, to be served, and thinking I I contributed to that, so that was a bit of a warm and fuzzy. So it's a, a, across the board. Um, it's it's contributing to the community. It's rewarding, and to see the actual outcomes and other people benefit from that. Again, it's it's a real win. Julian Freeland, thank you so much for joining you for Victoria today. Thank you. Cheers, Nick. If
0: you'd like to learn more about the work of the Victorian Health Building Authority, then you can find them on the web at vhba.vic.gov.au or you can follow them on Twitter at vhba. IPA Victoria will be continuing this focus on sustainability and offering practical advice to professionals in the public purpose sector in an upcoming series in partnership with IPA Victoria's Sustainability Community of Practice. This podcast is produced by IPA Victoria, Victoria's peak public sector professional association, which aims to connect, empower and celebrate Victoria's public purpose sector. You can find out more about what we do on the web at vic.ipaa.org.au or by following IPAA Victoria on LinkedIn or on Twitter at IPAAVIC. This podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm Nick Bastow, and thanks for listening.